Freight. That sound means welcome to Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightwaves. Anthony Smith, Lead Economist, my cohort here. Uh, hopefully everybody is having a pretty decent week of it in late February. Typically, it used to be like the doldrums yeah. of uh, the pretty much everything, <laughs> like yeah, weather. Uh, I don't know about the Southern Hemisphere, but it's certainly in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, the weather and just activity in general seems to slow. Uh, however, the pandemic created environment that started a few years back now uh, has created a little bit more volatility. That's right. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think that's perfectly worth it because mm -hmm. typically there's the time of the year where we just kind of exhale a little bit. We just had the peak season holiday. We just kind of take a step back, regather, get to the stuff that we weren't able to get to during the season that mm -hmm. wasn't high priority, but it's all high priority. It's not had to stop. And then we have weather events that yeah. have slowed some other things down. Then we have mm -hmm. geopolitical things that are starting to happen now, which are going to have some impact on some other areas. And then that's going to be an energy thing. And then we also have produce season coming up. And then March is here. Indeed. And the next thing you know, it's going to warm up. And then next thing you know, it's construction. And it doesn't stop. Energy yeah. makes more energy, really, <laughs> is what it is. If you've ever seen, uh, you know, The Boiler Room, one of my favorite movies, Motion creates emotion. Uh, that, that's kind of the, one of their taglines in there is they're getting the, the brokers kind of hyped up to make the sales. It's true. Like there's little things that happen that you can do to create it, this energy. I'm sure uh, Richie Daigle and Kevin Hill have talked about this on uh, put that coffee down at, at times. You'd have to. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about the, we, we have a very complex supply chain environment still. Uh, we have a few big stories. The stories really gave us the show today. So we're going to stick with that. And the overriding theme will be kind of this governmental uh, oversight into some of these problems, because we're in a very volatile time, like I mentioned. We've got supply chain uh, bottlenecks, prices. Main, a lot of this is obviously spurred by money. You always have to watch the money. Uh, but there's a lot of things moving right now, and that's creating a lot of people, that's making a lot of people uncomfortable. Uh, so they're trying to find solutions, and some of them are turning to uh, regulators, governments, uh, things of that nature to try to smooth this out. Now, we're going to discuss wh whether or not that's the right move, or maybe we're being a little bit overreactive at times, which I think goes without saying we're almost always overreactive to a to an extent uh, at this point with everything, the way that our societies are built. But uh, Anthony, are you watching that social media? I am. So if you see me looking down, I am going to be watching on LinkedIn. And so if you want to jump in and get a part of the conversation, which I recommend that you do, because we love hearing from you, you can chime in, of course, on LinkedIn. If by chance you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate you. Be sure to like and subscribe, help grow us on this platform as well. Also, if you want to get the full experience, you can go over to tv.freightways.com because if you enjoy something like this or you want something else in the supply chain, something a little bit more, you know, sales related, yeah, put that coffee down. We have tons of content around the supply chain that is all related to freight and logistics all wrapped up in one pretty bow. So thank you for tuning in. And if you're on LinkedIn, watching 12 Eastern Standard Time Thursday, chime in. I'll get back to you on these answers and questions throughout the show. Yeah, well said. So let's dive into it, man. We got, the, like I said, the news really let us off, uh, gave us the show today. Uh, so let's do some newsonomics and le kick things off with no other than the Ukrainian situation here. Um, 
and we're, you know, this is, this is a fascinating thing because I think a lot of people, especially maybe some of you watching this show or listening to the podcast, uh, may think, okay, this doesn't have anything to do with me. <laughs> uh, but the, the article that Greg Miller wrote here really outlines it very well. Uh, the title, of course, Shipping Braces for Impact as Ukraine Crisis Intensifies, wrote this earlier in the week. Um, and I think there's a few points here to cover first. One of the most obvious things that we're already feeling right now, the price of gas and diesel. <laughs> Obviously, consumer uh, situation, the retail price of gas, over $4 a gallon in many spots. Uh, once again, it's reminiscent of 2016, uh, 2015, uh, and of course, how that reflects into transportation, the price of diesel uh, up around $3.50 a, a gallon at this point, and it's, it looks like it's not going to slow down. Um, so there's the first direct already happening impact. <laughs> so this is inflationary. Yeah. Oil. I mean, you talked about it on Freightways now the other day, oil and gas utilities, seeing these inflationary pressures. And as a consumer in the United States, you're going to inherently feel them. Yeah. I mean, there's really no way to dodge this thing. So really when we were looking at earlier on in the pandemic, you could not be a part of the inflationary pressures if you chose to. I mean, of course, mm -hmm. Some things were a little bit higher from different points of time. You saw hand sanitizer, toilet paper, mm -hmm. black markets, things like that. But right. really, if you want to avoid the inflation, you could. You didn't have to jump into it. It wasn't hitting your groceries like that. It wasn't really hitting some of your day-to-day -day necessities. Now it's all over the place. It's really hitting every single sector. And so that's really what's going to make it interesting for those consumers because now we're starting to see it. Hey, this is unavoidable. You, you were avoiding inflation. Now it's here. You know, you're looking at vegetables, you're looking at groceries, you're looking at electronics, you're looking at appliances, you're looking at everything that goes into the supply chain. And when you look at each stop right. of the supply chain, there's an added fee onto it. And then those things start to add up. Then, of course, if the consumer is in a decent place or in a mm -hmm. solid, solid footing, those costs get passed on to them. And there's no market share to kind of preserve because everyone is now increasing. It only takes one big player, and then everyone's asking, all right, this is life now. Prices are being accepted. Let's continue to push these forward. Yeah, nobody can avoid the price of gas at this point. I know a lot of work from home kind of maybe hedges this a little bit, as a lot of people are still working remotely. And that's that, that appears to be a pretty stable thing that's going to come out of the pandemic is less travel for people, which I don't think is necessarily the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, the second uh, thing here, now this is a little bit more indirect. Uh, Ukraine is the largest grain producer in Europe. <laughs> uh, they're basically the wheat belt equivalent over there. And any disruption, now you may think, okay, but we don't get a lot of their wheat because we make our own. Correct. However, if there is disruption to that uh, in Europe, that means there's going to be more that needs to go over there from here. Yeah. And then there's the subsequent transportation capacity and talking about these maritime lines that are going through the Suez, these European stops don't have wheat on them anymore or grain, et cetera. The Black Sea, uh, big maritime uh, center over there. So the, in, a, in a normal time, uh, this would be considered a, you know, kind of like a blip, like we're not really going to care. But seeing as transportation capacity, maritime specifically is already kind of stretched as thin as possible, the downstream impacts to our subsequent import capacity on the ships and, and vessels there, uh, very real. And he goes on to mention that actually a lot of this comes from the threat of a cyber attack, which actually occurred 
in 2017. Yeah. Uh, and Russia's already been utilizing this tactic uh, quite a bit. They're doing it right now, uh, as reported by a lot of the news outlets. Um, and that's that's one of the biggest threats is that any kind of destabilization in this region can impact supply chain pressures here by removing sections of these like trade uh, trade routes. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the really I think important thing here when you look at the reallocation of certain things. You mm-hmm. mentioned Ukraine really being responsible for so much grain production mm-hmm. and really how important that is to the European area. And mm-hmm. so when you look at that and you look at what's happened over the last few weeks here, there's been a lot of preparation for this happening. It wasn't too much of a surprise, just like, all right, we're here. Mm -hmm. Now what's next? And so when you see events like this, it seems like, okay, it's of course human nature. People are intelligent most of the time, some of the times, and they prep for these things. They get things in position. They, all right, this is the worst case scenario. This is how we reallocate resources. Now we don't have some of those resources to reallocate. And now we're spread so thin, it's hard to put different things in position to really make sure, all right, if this is the worst case scenario, we have something in place. Other big thing is you can't just reallocate crops. Right. <laughs> and that's also going to be a huge issue and a huge limiter as well. So there's so many different things happening right now where it's just like typical time. All right, we see this coming down the road. We can just adjust. When there's nothing to really kind of help facilitate that adjustment, mm-hmm. that's when things really get difficult. Yeah, and I think you talked to uh, Sal this morning. About we did. This. We talked to Sal Mercagliano. Mm-hmm professor over at Campbell University, very insightful. So we have a clip right here that we're going to show uh, with a quick breakdown of some of the things that he's seeing right now in yeah. the area. Wow. Is there is there other outlets there? I mean, they're, they're, they're providing a lot for Asia, I would imagine, and, and Europe in there. It's just all land connected as well. Can they convert that to, to rail for those food part, uh, products moving out? Well, it's, as you heard before, oh, there's an issue down. with rail going across uh, into Europe. So, I mean, ports were really the main thing. And remember, uh, Ukraine lost its major port, Sevastopol, in 2014 when Russia took Crimea. And so Odessa has been really the only outlet they've had. And so with Odessa shut down and with some of these other ports on the Sea of Av shut down, now you're not going to be able to get these. A lot of these vessels that have been turned around are bulkers that were there to pick up grain from the winter harvest. And obviously going into the spring, this is going to have a huge effect. We're already seeing the economic impact. I mean, Maersk and Hamburg, or uh, excuse me, Maersk and uh, Hapag Lloyd, already down seven, eight percent in their wow. stocks right now. So they're feeling that there are sanctions levied against Russian companies. So we know, like for example, the uh, Russian container company Fesco, which is the forty-fourth largest container liner in the world, now is under sanctions. They're not going to be able to operate outside of Russian waters. So I mean, the, the impact this is going to have is going to just kind of snowball on us until we get a full feeling about it. Yeah, I, I mean, there you go. Right there, the theme of the day, sanctions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got, um, you know, government involvement here. They have to do this, politically speaking, in order to have some sort of weapon that doesn't, you know, involve some sort of loss of life and violent activity. Uh, although some would argue it may be worse in some cases. We're not here to debate that. But yeah, this situation definitely has an impact here, especially with the current supply chain environment that we have. So quickly moving into the second big topic of what has been the last month, really, Canadian uh, Canadian uh, operators have now been suspended yeah. by the Canadian government. Uh, quickly going to move through this one here. This is more of a reaction by the Ottawa uh, province there. Uh, it, 
the federal government did not stop them. So by almost by proxy, they're supporting it. Uh, they removed 12 truck operators. Now, these could be independent people. There has been confirmation that there has been at least one carrier that has been suspended uh, and they've put, been put out of service, uh, which is, a, you know, from my chair, I don't know all the details for sure. Uh, looks rather dramatic or drastic in this situation. Um, they have, uh, you know, pulled back their emergency, their, you know, the act of emergency that Trudeau uh, went into place on February 15th. So things are de-escalating there, but there still are going to be a few long-term situation consequences of some of this. Uh, while the Emergencies Act has been revoked, Justice Minister David Lametti, who appeared with Trudeau, said violations uh, of it that occurred while it was enforced will continue to be prosecuted by the justice system, and it may be that these have something to do with these operators being pulled off. So, Zach, when you see this, first read this, and, and of course, the thing that comes to my mind, of course, is setting an example. And does this kind of fit into that description of like, all right, this is <laughs> going to be like a little bit of a deterrent to set an example that we're not playing around? Yeah, I, I, I think... This is the slippery slope, mm -hmm. whereas I don't know the details for sure about these 12 operators. Uh, maybe they did something that was violent or that was, you know, a little bit excessive on their end. I don't know. Uh, that would be the only reason that I would think that you would pull them out of service, yeah. <laughs> uh, some sort of extreme behavior, simply blocking uh, the connector, the, the ambassador bridge there. I don't know that that's, you know, again, there has to be something that differentiates these 12 operators from the rest of the community. Uh, and I don't know that that's a thing, but I'm sure more details will come out on it, but it feels very invasive to me, at least at this point in time. And uh, hopefully we get a little bit more clarification. Yeah, and, and it seems like, mm -hmm. of course, if this is gonna be in Canada, I, I think about if this were to happen in the US, of course, you, you don't wanna take any capacity off right. right now. That's yeah, the let's first look thing. at the, uh, I've got the uh, the Canadian Outbound Tender Rejection Index uh, queued up, I believe, uh, OTRI Canada here. Look at this thing. Yeah. Like tender rejection rates, obviously the higher they are, the tighter the market is. They are staying relatively high at this point, uh, you know, up over 13% still um, and really haven't come down. Uh, whereas in the United States, we've seen our tender rejection rates kind of come out of that Omicron period of time. I don't think that you could apply the full brunt of this spike mm -hmm. to the uh, vaccine mandate blockades or anything like that. But there's certainly something here that suggests that it, uh, it, it's not helping. Right. I mean, Canadian spot rates have been increasing uh, for a period of time for the last several months. But this extension probably has something to do with, with this border crossing uh, situation. I don't know how much, but it's certainly interesting that they're pulling operators off considering, hey, we're mad at you for blocking capacity movement. Now we're going to pull more of you out. Yeah. That seems to be a little counterintuitive or counterproductive in my mind, uh, sure. considering. 100%. <laughs> and the other thing that comes to my mind, of course, when you're looking at the fragmentation that is the freight market, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't really mean anything sometimes. You see companies go out of business, mm -hmm. then that capacity gets absorbed right. elsewhere. And so it's like you shut one down and then it just spreads other places. And it's like, oh, I can't drive here anymore. I'll just drive over here now. And so it just kind of washes itself out. So it seems like a waste of energy yeah. and, it, and taking capacity offline temporarily for really a waste of energy and money and time. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it fully. But again, hopefully we get more uh, clarification around that moving forward. Definitely an interesting spot considering 
Canada is kind of thought of as like this very amicable, friendly neighbor to the north. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel that way, uh, at least at this point <laughs> with the with the transportation and trucking side. So uh, the next story, which is really the, you know, all of it's kind of a one unifying topic today about regulation and sanctions and mm-hmm. government involvement. And, you know, everything's kind of chaotic. So we lean on the government. Greg Miller writes this uh, wonderful article. Uh, everybody should read. I don't care if you have an involvement in maritime or not. Uh, collusion drumbeat leads to multilateral probe of shipping lines. So the article basically in summary discusses how there has been a lot of anti-competitive behavior amongst the shipping uh, carriers, uh, the maritime ones, um, and how a lot of people are ringing the bell saying, hey, we think that they are actually uh, profiteering, uh, raising rates arbitrarily, uh, providing like deterioration in service, etc. So my big thing, and I'm going to combine this with my recent chart of the week, (laughs) is that we have to be careful <laughs> yeah. what we ask the regulators to do in times of chaos or severe transition, which is what we're in right now, mm-hmm. because normally those things settle out. How much patience do we have <laughs> as participants, as a society, et cetera, to let things kind of work themselves out versus asking some sort of regulatory behavior? So if we looked at you know, let's look at the uh, the chart of the Freitos Baltic Exchange uh, rates and the uh, the Drury uh, World Container Index for sh- uh, Shanghai to Los Angeles. These are all spot rates for 40-foot containers moving from Asia to North America's West Coast, North America's East Coast there in purple, and the single lane uh, from Drury going from Shanghai to Los Angeles. The inflation is undeniable. <laughs> it is there. 600% increase in the lane rate from Shanghai to Los Angeles. The question here is how much of this is a product of a free market and how much of it is a product of anti-competitive behavior? Your thoughts? Yeah, I think definitely it's a market movement for Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, as you see the market react to the current conditions, that's what's going to happen. And Mm so it's not what you want. And just because it's not what you want doesn't mean that, hey, we need to regulate this. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that you mentioned, Zach, is like when you put in regulations, it's not always what you are going to get, like, what you want isn't what you're going to get. And so mm-hmm. the other big thing to take in, into account is sometimes you put regulations into place and they're now stuck here. Yeah. I mean, it's hard sometimes. I've seen very few policies put in place, regulations put in place that are now kind of peeled back. You see that there's no time frame for sometimes of like, hey, this is going to go into place and it's going to end on this date. Sometimes it's just like, no, this is it. Mm-hmm going forward. Yeah. And you rarely ever see anything like that come back. And I mean, you look at the agriculture market right, <laughs> right now. There are tons of regulations there that are just been in place for decades. And there's no breaking those back. There's now more regulations and more policies put on top of that to correct some of the other things and unintended consequences that have already kind of started to happen. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's all risk reward. So yeah. you've asked these carriers. Now, now, a lot of these carriers have consolidated over the years because there's just no other way for them to make money. So we're asking them, make as much money as you can (laughs) with one hand and, but don't do it in a bad way with the other. Like this, this is an environment that we have created and asked for as a free market society. Um, Now I, it's not that I think that we should go complete anarchy (laughs) uh, because greed does need to be tamped because Mm -hmm. there is a collateral damage aspect of business that we all need to be aware of. I totally agree with that, but simply, 
the fact that you're getting overcharged, I think we're still in that space of, wait a minute, we need to step back because chances are the, most of this period has grown out of a time where you weren't getting overcharged at all. In fact, you may have been paying too little to these providers, which has oh. led to this environment, which is yeah. what I state in my chart of the week article yeah. this week. Uh, truckload rate inflation suggests that service was extremely undervalued by shippers just in the way that they are still able to inflate their rates. Because what's happening in trucking, not as fragmented as the maritime side, 100, I mean, more, way more fragmented than the uh, maritime side, I should say, um, has no regulation on it, essentially. There's thousands of participants. So let's pull up this, this last chart that I have uh, comparing contract rates, uh, our van contract rates, and the FBX, uh, or I should say the, uh, yeah, this is the FBX, China to North America's West Coast. Look very similar. In fact, uh, that little spike there is a change in methodology last, last year in the FBX. So take that with kind of a grain of salt. But the trends are the same. Yeah. I, I mean, given there's a, the percentages are way different in the maritime versus the truckload. But point being is that they're both moving in a same pattern. And it's the truckload space, very fragmented. Maritime space, very not fragmented. Mm -hmm. Suggesting that this was regulation or no, a product of simply too much demand for the supply. Yeah, and I think their relationship, of course, when you look at the push and pull within supply chain shippers, sure have been able to really dictate, all right, no, you don't want this freight, we'll find someone else that will. And now when, you know, of course, you look at the pricing power index and where that, that balance kind of lies mm -hmm. and the shippers don't really have that power anymore. And of course, these things move in cycles. And right. at some point in time, it's going to shift the other way, I'm sure. <laughs> and maybe that's <laughs> next year or three years. It's going to eventually shift at some point and bounce back as more capacity enters the market, more options become available. But when you're looking at the history of shippers really being able to have the pick of the litter, now it kind of gets interesting when the roles are reversed. And of course, ship carriers who have maybe been underpaid and providing some services that really should have been, you know, appreciated a little bit more taken into account. That's why you're now starting to see a lot of shippers, a lot of providers kind of integrating their own supply chain into their own system. Like, hey, we need our own fleet. We need our own dedicated yeah. operations now. Yeah, this has been pent up uh, yeah. for years. And I mean, you're, ta you're talking about, you're asking these carriers uh, to operate with razor thin margins but yet make as much money as possible. <laughs> you know, the financial sector, of course, if you're publicly traded, you have a fiduciary responsibility to increase your shareholder price and value over time. And for them to be told, wait a minute, you can't do that <laughs> by regulators seems very hypocritical. Uh, now, the maritime side isn't a one-to-one -one comparison by any means because there are far fewer participants and it may feel more like an oligarchy, as they say in here, but... These, these carriers have gone through very difficult years mm -hmm. in the past, and they have built this system based on decades of <laughs> what the environment has been, asking them to take on periods of risk where they could go out of business and not allowing them to at least capture some market tops. You really have to think about what you're asking, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because rates have come down a little bit. It looks like things at least maybe not today, but in the long run. Now, one thing that I think there are some behaviors 
that should absolutely be looked into um, that they that Greg mentions in this article is that uh, a major complaint of U.S. cargo interests is that ocean carriers are applying late pickup fees even when ships are still stuck on a vessel and can't be accessed because the carriers are starting the clock based on the scheduled delivery date and not the actual delivery date. That type of thing, absolutely. That is unfair business practices. You have to address that type of stuff. But overall, this is the behavior of shippers outbidding each other for space. (laughs) And that's the thing that we have to recognize. And and of course, there's there's a delineation between domestic carriers and of course, ocean carriers as well. We look at the differences between the two. And really, like you said, the domestic freight, a lot more fragmented Mm -hmm. and and not so much as a, a... the same variables and same factors are, are, are being faced by some of the ocean carriers as well. Yeah, so be careful when you start complaining to your officials about uh, about things because you might get what you ask for, which may not be the best solution in the future. I mean, they deregulated trucking in the 80s, mm-hmm. early 80s, and it got better for shippers. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, laissez-faire, hands-off. I mean, the old saying goes from time to time. Anyway, this has been Freight Waves. Freight Anonymous. Freight Waves TV. We're launched on all your favorite platforms. If you're watching us on YouTube, like, subscribe if you've been on, on LinkedIn. Appreciate it. Reach out to us. Drink more water. Yeah. Read up on some stories, some news. Yeah, a lot of things going on in February. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle March. <laughs> <laughs> we have another...